Welcome to a very special edition of the Bluminati podcast. Robert Stegg is your host for the evening. Nate's fired. We got rid of him. No, we're actually talking about recruiting tonight. So I'll be taking over for the night uh, with me tonight. I have the, the always informative, always knowledgeable Nick Simon here. We also have the experienced, the wise Seth Barnador. And then lastly, we have the beautiful, the handsome, the layman, Anthony Vito, here to discuss a little bit of, uh, of recruiting, you know, the, the important stuff that's going into, into the next couple of years for the coach Jeff Scott era. So really quick, right off the bat, guys, thanks for being here tonight. I want to kind of get into the important thing of the, the 2021 class and, and what we kind of are looking at right now. So for all intents and purposes, this class has been finalized for Coach Jeff Scott. Uh, currently, the class has 20 members, 22 if you count some of the special teams guys. We're looking at a pretty defensive-heavy recruiting class with mostly defensive recruits, uh, ranked fourth in the American Athletic Conference right now on 247, uh, 61st overall in the conference, which is a really big improvement over the previous class for the uh, class of 2020. Some of the highlights for us is going to be Gunnar Greenwald, a tight end from Satellite Beach, Kowan Powell from Vernon, Florida, and uh, Game Neely from Gulliver Prep, and then Timmy McLean from Satellite as well. So we're looking at a pretty extensive class here that kind of hits where USF's weaknesses are. Um, there's quite a lot of guys that I'm pretty excited to talk about here tonight. Nick, I want to toss this over to you first. Who, who are some of your guys in this class of 2021 that you're looking at as like, your, your go-to guys for, for the future, for USF. Right. Well, considering Jeff's history with uh, Clemson, him being offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach, what a guy that really stands out to me immediately is Nicholas. And we, we literally just went over this. We're going to probably butcher his name. Nicholas Shivati. 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 Right. Nicholas Shivati, kid coming out of um, Clearwater Academy International. He's kind of a bit of an unknown kid because he's basically imported from uh, Canada. They kind of recruited or – so let's back up. Clemson recruited his teammate, Aju Aju, you know, big five-star elite receiver. And so while he's, while he's recruiting Aju, he kind of gets a look at this Nicholas kid, right? So when he's unrolling the um, – enrolling this first class, he reaches out to him. I think he uh, he was able to come to campus, if I'm not mistaken, this past February and basically locks him up, gets him. It kind of stands out because, again, Jeff's a wide receivers guy. So we're basically looking for offensive uh, firepower for this next uh, recruit for this next year. And he's going to be a guy as you're throwing in um, new freshmen and basically salting the earth, throwing in new freshmen next year. He's going to be definitely a dude like you can definitely throw into the mix, especially if you're trying to get him reps with a new quarterback. No, absolutely. He's, he's definitely one of the guys that kind of caught my eye straight off the bat with this recruiting class. Um, he fits the typical Clemson wide receiver mold of tall, great hands, great route running. Is it going to, burn past you necessarily but when you get him in the right when you get him in space and when you can get the ball in his hands 
he's going to make plays for you. He's, he's kind of what I feel like USF is missing a lot this year. They have plenty of speed, but they don't have these guys that can just run these crisp routes that get the separation. And when you watch Nick's film, it's, it's, it's very apparent that he runs very good routes and he gets open. Um, him and his, uh, I guess what you can call rival, because he, Nicholas is from um, Clearwater International, uh, Cardricci Mobley, who is right next to him as far as rankings and everything like that, from Clearwater High School, kind of the same vein there. You know, kind of, they're both tall, they're both lanky, they both run really, really good routes, and they do a really good job of getting separation, even though they're not blazing fast. Um, I think there's a really big misconception on if you're fast, you can create separation. That's not always the case. It's, it's that good route running that I think USF has been missing. For me, and to kind of segue into uh, a question that we had, let me see if I can find it real quick. So Alec, Mar- Alec Moniz, a, well, his Twitter handle is at a Moniz. Uh, which of the committed recruits do you think you can come in and right away and contribute? I, I think Nicholas is, is obviously one of those guys that I think probably will contribute right away. But for me, at least, I always look at where the weak points are on the team to find any you know, gaps. And, and to me, the first guy that comes to mind is Desmond Mamodi, uh, defensive tackle from Carrollwood Day. USF has a big defensive line problem right now. There is absolutely no pressure getting to the quarterback. There is not a lot of, you know, penetration. And it was very apparent against Tulsa last week that, you know, Zach Smith had all day, every day to throw in the pocket unless USF blitzed. So they're looking for a guy that can come in and, and make an immediate impact. And he might be one of those guys that can just come in. Um, he transferred from Steinbrenner to Carrollwood Day this year. Obviously, Carrollwood is a little bit of a powerhouse. And Carrollwood likes him so much that they're having him also run on offense. He's getting plenty of snaps at running back right now this year. So he's definitely a guy that I think his athleticism, his intelligence, and his drive is just going to absolutely bring him to the next level and have him be a guy that really, you know, sticks out for for USF next year. And then another guy that could possibly come in and play right away, um, either of the safeties that we have committed, uh, either Jordan Blackman or Gabe, uh, Gabe Neely. Um, obviously, with a recent announcement that Nick Roberts is transferring, that leaves a pretty sizable hole in our secondary. Um, and I think either one of those guys can come in and play right away. Uh, Gabe Neely shows a lot of really great stuff on his film, um, whether in press coverage or whether in, in deep thirds or anything. You know, he, he does find a way to ball hawk. Uh, Jordan Blackman, same way. Um, Jordan definitely breeds quarterbacks well as, uh, in, in, his, in his strength. He, he definitely understands what quarterbacks are looking first and, uh, and finds his way over there. But there's a few other guys that we especially want to highlight. I think Gunnar Greenwald, our tight end from Satellite Beach. Um, he might be a guy that can come in and, and get some reps right away. He might be a guy like Holden Willis who just kind of pops in there every once in a while. But he's definitely a guy that this, this staff is trying to really mold and then come in, you know, that sophomore, junior, and senior year to really, you know, explode into the scene. And then, of course, we can't, you know, have this quarterback carousel happening with USF and not talk about our potential quarterback of the future with Timmy McLean, our Southpaw dual threat that we're all pretty excited to see how he'll do uh, for the rest of the year. Um, He comes from Seminole, Florida, so he's definitely a guy that can come in and compete uh, he's definitely got to work on some of his mechanics as far as being a quarterback, but his dual threat, I mean, he's a top dual threat in the state of Florida for a reason. You know, he's, he's got a pair of legs on him. He knows when to run. He knows when to 
you know, uncork it and, and throw it deep. So he's definitely another guy that I'm looking at. Nick, is there anyone else in this class that you're kind of excited about, excited about seeing? Juan Powell from uh, Vernon up in uh, North Florida. Inter- interesting because so far this season, Jeff's already – this offense has already shown that they'll deploy numerous uh, running backs, especially the, like, you know, the freshmen in redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores. We've seen Brian Petit in certain spots. We've seen obviously Kelly Joyner coming back from his second year. And so if he's definitely spreading the ball around and getting guys, di- different guys touches in the next year, that's a, definitely a dude who can, um, c- who can come in and see the field right away. And also, he's um, he definitely he also had offers from Florida State and LSU, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, that's uh, kid. Great segue because that was actually what I was going to talk about. Um, one of the big things about this upcoming class is, and we'll kind of discuss this in in part here is the way that we can view these rankings and 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 the, the averages and everything like that. Um, obviously we're living in a very, in a COVID pandemic world. A lot of these camps that these players were going to play in are, were canceled. A lot of film, you're going off of maybe sophomore, mostly junior year. And a lot of the chances that these guys had to get in front of scouts, get in front of, um, you know, the, the coaches just aren't there. So I, I would almost hesitate to say take this class with the same grain of salt that you're going to take the previous class in, in 2020. Um, these guys are good. There's no doubt. There's a lot of talent in this class. Some of these lower guys, they, they just got rankings. Uh, what comes to mind is Car- our, our three most recent car, um, uh, recruits, Cardriche Mo- Mobley, Cole Best, and Drew Cornelius, didn't get ranked until about a week ago. And they're coming into our senior year. So according to 2-4-6, yeah. I can speak to Drew Cornelius specifically because when I was in, uh, when I was in living in uh, West Georgia covering high school football out there a few years ago, I covered his team, her county, when they won the state championship. I recognize his name, but this was back when he was a sophomore. And at that particular time they had an offensive line chock full of seniors so even though you know he's talent you know he's very talented kid they knew like what was going to come from him in the future he kind of had to wait his turn before versus some other kids who have been starting since he was a freshman Mm -hmm. yeah that's the way it works sometimes yeah and and unfortunately that this this pandemic canceling all these camps are going to really have an effect on a lot of guys um, and a lot of their rankings and a lot of their ability to get scholarships, uh, which, which is more important, obviously. So, um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but take this class of the grain of salt as far as how the rankings kind of look. Um, there's not a lot that we can do besides look at film and kind of estimate from our side of things. Um, but to, to kind of round out the class, it is what we would consider in the state of Florida, not the best state, or not, not the best class you could possibly get. Um, you're having to dip into areas of Florida that you not, not, would not normally recruit into. Um, what comes into mind is that satellite beach area, usually not as strong recruiting-wise. Usually there's, there's not those you know, top 10 talent guys. 
um, dipping in the state of Georgia, no offense to Nick or anything like that. You know, we have our recruiting chops in the Tampa area. But the good thing is the coaching staff has already laid the groundwork for the class of 22, 23, 24 by making sure that they keep in contact with these schools in the Tampa area. That is the and biggest I, thing that this, yeah. And I will say that they've, so far, they've done a good job of recruiting the area and laying the roots right in their backyard. You know, that's something that Jeff really harped on in what is opening is opening press conference, right? Like we all have all the talent like right here. And then you look at this, you know, we're what 20, 21 guys who are committed so far, about a third of them are from the area. So it kind of, so that's a positive thing to look at is that it shows that they're already, that they're already getting back into these high schools where the previous staff may or may not have um, burned some relationships. So they're starting to rebuild those bridges and that's going to be key uh, going forward, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and they've really done a good job. I think, I think of coach Strong's three years at USF, there were four Bay Area kids that have committed to USF. Jesus. And in this class, there are five, just the class of 20, 2021. And, and, and to look at, look at what these guys have gone through. Um, and Seth, I know you have a little bit of experience with it as well. Um, how, how was recruiting? How, what do you think recruiting was for, for the guys this year, obviously, in the pandemic? I, I think uh, you can call back to a little bit of your time and D2. Yeah, just, um, you know, to begin with, just talking about how they're focused on the Bay Area. I heard Scott speak with a bunch of Bay Area high school coaches, and he laid out his plan for recruiting, and it was really well thought out. He said there's 121 schools within an hour of USF's campus. There's 121 high schools. He's going to give each coach, uh, 10 coaches that can recruit, he's going to give them all 11 schools. Those are their schools. They are the point man. They're going to go visit them whenever they can. And so they're building, um, you know, taking advantage, even the schools that may not have a guy this year, but he's building those relationships and he's doing a really good job. He also spoke about taking, you know, they're going to take a kid every year locally that maybe not wouldn't be considered that high level recruit, but, his coach loves him. He says he's the best player I've ever coached. One of those type of kids that's a good program kid. So they're going to take one of those from the Bay Area every year or try to. So he's, he's done a really good job, like, like Nick said, re repairing some relationships. Um, with regards to recruiting this year, it is kind of – it does remind me a little bit of how you had to recruit at the D2 level, especially uh, – I was coaching at, at Tusculum University now um, in Tennessee, and we wanted to recruit a lot of Florida kids in addition to Tennessee kids. So – the Florida kids we wanted to recruit, we couldn't actually, we couldn't really get them on campus every weekend. Well, sometimes we couldn't get them on campus at all, just because if they can't make it themselves, it's tough to pay for flights and things like that. So right now the dead period's extended, so nobody can come on campus. So the coaches are having to deal with that. But you really have to lean on your relationship with the high school coaches and get uh, opinions from the ones you trust. Because they'll tell you if a kid can play. They'll tell you if the kid across the street can play. They'll tell you if, you know, who on their schedule they played. Hey, that kid's worth the shot. And what's good about this staff is that they already have those relationships in the state of Florida. A lot of them, like Scott, recruited the area for a long time. And then you have guys like Glenn Spencer and Charlie West Jr. that were coaching at FAU last year, recruiting to a similar level in the state. So they kind of understand – 
who they can trust, who has a good idea with players and what staffs around uh, the state will give them good information. So they're uh, kind of ahead of the game in that sense. Um, with regards to recruiting rankings, one, one guy I always bring up when we talk about this, and it's a recent example. If you look at Jameer Gibbs, so he ended up in the 24-7 composite being the 44th-ranked player. Um, I think maybe uh, – yeah, he ended up being the 44th-ranked player. In February – this is as now in February of 2019, so last uh, – before his senior season, he was the 1,010th-ranked player. So imagine if he didn't get to go to camps. Imagine if he didn't have coaches coming to watch him his senior year. Is he a guy that falls out? And now, you know, less than a year later, he's the 44th ranked player in the class. So there are guys like that. So the recruiting rankings are going to be tough. you got to really trust the coach's evaluation, and you have to trust um, that they have good resources to tap into around state, which I think the staff does have. Yeah. No, and, and I think that's, that's no more apparent than the recent commits of the class. Um, and, again, this is not throwing any of these guys under the bus because, obviously, you know, they haven't even stepped on campus yet, so how are we going to evaluate them? But at the end of the class, Drew Cornelius and Cole Best were two unranked, very lightly recruited uh, guys out of the state of Georgia. Or, excuse me, Drew was out of the state of Georgia. Cole was, Cole was out of Winter Park. Um, and, and that kind of raised a few like eyebrows uh, around the the USF circle. Like, why are we not recruiting the Tampa Bay guys? Uh, we had Andrew Kilfoyle already straight out of Tampa, maybe ten minutes from campus. You know what's what was so good about Drew Cornelius or, or Cole Best that you know we couldn't find in the area. But I think at this point, and this can kind of segue into a question by a friend of a blog, Taylor Jenkins you know, realistically, how much better can we expect this team to be after Scott's first recruiting cycle last year, going into this year, and then going into the next football season? And I think you're going to still see a lot of struggles. And especially because a lot of these guys, especially on the offensive line, who they are evaluating as, I would say, diamonds in the rough. They're probably not going to play next year. You know, we might get a few of these guys to, to contribute some good minutes, um, but a lot of these guys are going to require some development in order for them to, you know, be those star guys that this program desperately needs in the next couple of years. I, I think that what we're going to see is a few of these guys just, you know, pop in for a play or two, you know, at the end of games and everything. But for the most part, it's going to be a lot of preparation for them to go in and, and start their junior and senior year. So yeah. I, 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 for me at least, I don't see this team improving drastically. I might see, you know, we might see another win or two just because of, of you know, good transfers in or, um, you know, good, good freshmen turning into sophomores, good true freshmen. But I think for the most part, you're still going to see quite a bit of struggles. I think, and I hate to say it, I don't think we're going to be good next year. And I don't think I'm going to be surprising anyone when I say that. I think when we're really going to start hitting our stride, it's going to be that 2021 class, uh, or excuse me, the 2022 class. That 2022 class has already gotten quite a bit of traction as far as who the coaches have been looking for, um, which we're not going to dive into because that's a whole nother bombshell of things. But um, I think next year we're going to see a lot of, a lot of the same. Nick, are you kind of in the same boat with that? Yeah. And going back to um, what you were just saying, yeah, um, there are going to be, 
quite a few of these kids who are going to be basically put into the slow cooker for a few years. When you said that, like the first uh, name that came to my mind was Holden Wallace. Like whenever I think about that kid, that's the definition of a kid who, like you said, he may pop in for a play or two here, but not really going to contribute probably this year or next year. And then in 2022, when he's really bulked up and he's really ready and understands what's expected of him, he's going to come out and people are going to be like, where the hell did this kid come from? And I think that's going to be the case with a lot of these kids from both last year's class and this year's uh, class. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Seth, um, how, how are you feeling about how recruiting has been this year and going into next year, what the expectations should be? Well, I, I think you're, you're, if you're talking about next year, you need to talk about a different type of recruiting that I think we're going to get to. You need to talk about transfer portal because that is where if you want to get better quickly, that's where you need to go recruiting and go shopping is that transfer portal. So if they have a good class out of there, then they can get better quick. If they don't, it's, you're going to have to wait for some of these guys to develop. That's what I, I think at this level, when you're not able to go out and get the top of the line guys, even some of those guys aren't ready to play immediately. Most of them aren't. So it's really the name of the game is going to be development. So it's going to if you're not if you're not able to bring in those transfers that can play, um, you know, then then you're going to have to wait a while for people to develop. I, I would imagine there may be one or two that pop, but for the most part, it's a process. It's bridging a- the it's bridging the gap. Um, I mentioned it in the piece I wrote a couple of a uh, couple of days ago, actually. Um, with uh, SMU, that's been well documented how Dykes really, really reached into the portal for guys who just wanted to come back to Dallas and who could play right away. And they went from what a five and seven team in 2018 to a 10 win team that was a couple of plays away from going to the uh, conference championship. You know, I'm not saying that you know this team is anywhere near ready to go to the conference championship next year, even with a full um, slate of uh, transfers coming in, but just getting bodies and getting guys who are ready to play would definitely create a night and day effect for this uh, program. Yeah, but if you drop if you drop Shane Michelle and Reggie Robertson on the, Robertson on the team, all of a sudden they're pretty they they can be pretty good next year. So it's like if you get some of those guys, you can make a little leap. Not be a big leap, but that's, I think that's where their improvement is going to be is can I go get those guys that are immediately ready to play? Now it's going to be super cutthroat in the transfer portal, which is another kind of, there may be a trickle down effect in recruiting this year because there may be limited scholarship numbers. And I know a lot, I've heard a lot of personnel guys in college are like, I will, we'd rather go after the guys we know could play at this level than, than because if I go get it, I heard um, somebody say, if I go get, you know, a player and he bust out, well, okay, he's gone in two years. Or if I go get a, a freshman, that's a four-year mistake. So I think it's the transfer portal is going to be pretty competitive, but that could have other positive effects for USF. I think they're in a good spot. They're either going to be able to get the guys in the transfer portal or maybe there might be some trickle down in the, in the, uh, the you know, recruiting class of the seniors coming in as freshmen. Oh, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head of what I was about to, to go into with the transfer portal is, is I mean, the thing about the transfer portal and the, the glorious thing about it is 
you go in and no one knows where you're going to end up at until you end up at your location. Um, a lot of this stuff is done very much behind the scenes and without a lot of indication to any of us. Um, occasionally you can get like kind of like a, a whiff of a guy who might be interested in returning home, for instance, or a guy who is looking for a real fresh start with a fresh team. But for the most part, I mean, guys enter the portal and then all of a sudden, you know, they end up at Purdue or they end up at USC or they end up halfway across the country because they, they like the coach and they like what the coach is, is preaching. And luckily with, with us here at USF, we have a pretty good coach who's preaching the right things. Um, a lot of the good stuff that normal players want to buy into, you know, kept coach Jeff Scott is really preaching that. And I, I, I think Tyler McConnell asked us, you know, how, how do we think like the coaching staff is going to handle the transfer portal and can we expect them to go after a significant amount of transfers? I think you're, I think the best answer to that question is that all depends on how many guys transfer out. Um, we've already seen a handful of guys already announced for transfers, Eddie McDoom, uh, Jabril Stevens and Nick Roberts come to mind. There might be a few others that are slipping. Um, but yeah, if we get a mass exodus, I, I think you're going to see a, a quite a handful of, uh, of guys come in from the transfer portal, either via Juco, you know, guys that had to sit out last year, whatever, whatever it takes. I think they're going to look for guys that can immediately fill that position uh, of need for, for whomever transfers out. I, I think this week we're probably not going to see too many transfers. I think the second that the clock starts midnight on black Friday, um, I think some guys are going to say, you know what? I gave it my best shot. This isn't for me. This isn't the team that I wanted to be on. And, you know, say lobby, you know, we wish them all the best, but that's kind of the way the cookie crumbles when it comes to um, new coaching staffs is there are guys that love it and buy into it and say, you know, yes, we're going to rebuild this team and, and make it, you know, the, the conference contender that we know it can be. And then there are guys that are going to say, this is the coach that recruited me. This isn't the guy who said I was going to have playing time, you know, I'm going to go ahead and look for playing time elsewhere. So that's a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to these guys that are going to be transferring out is there's likely going to be quite a bit of guys that are going to transfer back in. So, um, and, and to kind of look into that a little bit more, um, there are a few guys that are showing a good bit of interest to USF already through the transfer portal, which is obviously a good sign. Here's a question that uh, as we go with transfers that was on, that that was floated in a different thread, but it's, mm -hmm. do you feel like any good transfers would select USF next season based on the coaching staff names, or do you feel they think the staff needs to prove themselves more since USF is not doing well right now? I think a big question that I think some people float around is do transfers care about what the current status of it is of the team is, or do they care more about the coaching slash playing time slash what, what do you think? this season's outcome has to do with potential transfers? I would think uh, they care mostly about playing time. And then, you know, your team not being good at something, if you're a good recruiter, you can sell it, you know. Hey, especially if you're if, – if it's stuff that is – hey, the players just can't quite execute what we're calling, and you show the guys, hey, do you see how open this is? Or do you see this guy's wide open? Could you make that throw? You know, could you make that catch? Could you run this route? Would you, you know, that kind of stuff, sometimes you can get around the team being bad because kids will think, okay, yeah, I can come in and play. I can do that. I'll, I can make plays there. Um, so it, it all comes back down, I think, mostly to how good of a recruiter you are. You got to sell it. But 
you can sell bad. That's what we, I had to sell bad when I was recruiting and uh, we got a couple guys to sign because they were like, yeah, I can come in and play. So you can sell bad, but you, you, you're going to have to, you have to be a, a decent recruiter to do it. And, uh, and luckily USF has a pretty good one. And, and to go back to this 2021 class, um, you know, our, our top, I'll go top six guys, um, Gunner, uh, according to 247, Gunnar Greenwald, Kwan Powell, Jordan Blackman, Gabe Neely, and Jalen Stokes and Timmy McLean. All these guys had power five offers. All of these guys had very pretty offers too. You know, we're not looking at, you know, Vanderbilt's and, you know, Northwestern's of the world. We're looking at, you know, really good power five programs. Um, and a lot of them came to them wanting them to go there. Uh, Kawan Powell with LSU was the biggest one that I can say. Reigning national champion comes and knocks on his doorstep and he's, you know, not sold on it. But the coaching staff did a really good job of saying, you know, you can probably go to LSU and, and yeah, maybe you'll play good and maybe you'll get a ring by sitting on the bench or something like that. But if you come to USF, you're going to get that playing time. You're going to get, you know, the, the looks, you're going to get some notoriety because <laughs> we kind of need the help now. So I, I think to Seth's point, we have a really good, you know, used car salesman as a head coach, which is the biggest compliment I could probably give a head coach is being a used car salesman at times. So I think, I think we're in good shape to probably hit the portal hard, get some good guys in here that have a little bit of experience can come in and fill gaps right away, but also prepare the backlog behind them for uh, greater things down the line. I think that's, that's, that should be USF strategy going forward. I think I can probably segue this one into real quick. Um, and, and to kind of kill this question right away, USF is, is I would say, without a doubt, done with recruiting this year. Um, I think they've got a very good 20 slash 22 guys committed to the class right now. There was a few offers sent out like last minute a couple weeks ago, but I, I think most of those guys aren't going to commit. I, I don't think that USF has a spot for most of them. So I think the class that you're currently looking at um, for the class of 2021 is going to be your final class, barring any decommitments. But none of these guys have given any implication or any, um, you know, looks to any other schools. I don't think any single one of them has even announced any other offers, which is good for USF. Um, I think all of them have basically said, you know what, Coach Scott, I'm committed. I'm done. And and that's 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 a really good sign for things to come for USF because if they can get a, a high profile guy, then you know they'll they'll be set for for the rest of the recruiting cycle. And the thing is, this class has been done for a pretty good while now. Like I'm looking at it right now, and the last um, kid to commit was Quan Powell, and that was way back on um, on September 1st on Labor like Labor Day or just before Labor Day. So I mean, it it kind of goes into um, of like Jeff's recruiting philosophy, what he laid out uh, when he got here, kind of the Clemson model. It's like, hey, listen, take your time, but we want you to be solidly committed. So if you commit to us, then that's where <laughs> then that's where you're going. You're not turning back from that unless uh, you want us to, unless you want us to just straight up drop you. Like if you're committed, then you're <laughs> then you're in this. And like you just touched on. All of these guys have been solid, you know. They're all going to be here. Yeah. No, I was going to say, even C.J. Ross, who was the first commit of the 2021 yeah. cycle way back in February um, from, from Trinity Christian, who, if you're not familiar with Trinity Christian, Trinity Christian is 
one of the top programs in the state. Um, he didn't even tweet any other offers. He committed on, on February 1st and locked it down. And if you can keep guys that early on in the cycle for the entirety of it um, through like a, even a normal cycle, that's incredible. So this is definitely a good sign for, for the future of USF as far as, you know, not having too many decommits, unlike our, uh, our good friends up in Oviedo. And that has to build, uh, definitely build confidence for uh, a young first-time staff knowing that, hey, the guys that you um, targeted and really went after, like, they, they stuck with it. So, No, it's, it's definitely a good sign. But to, to move back in time a little bit, because um, I, I do want to talk about this as well, because this is a, definitely a pain point for the current USF football culture. And that's, that's the previous recruiting cycles and the previous recruiting classes that USF has had. Um, I took the time one night to go ahead and, and check out basically from, from the in, in inception of, of the American Athletic Conference to today, where like the conferences as far as recruiting. I, I, I disregarded Louisville and obviously I disregarded UConn because UConn can go fuck themselves. Um, but as an, as an overall whole, USF has done, I think the best way I can say it is okay. I think is the best way to put it. Um, they haven't been great as far as recruiting goes, um, especially as far as attrition and, and keeping these guys. But recruiting has been pretty good for USF these last couple of years. Um, the problem is you can't keep these guys at USF. You can't get these guys on campus. And then they end up transferring out or not playing for us. The biggest kind of thing for USF is USF has, by average, the highest rated recruit in the American Athletic Conference history at 0.8342, which is above UCF, who's right, right behind us, Cincinnati, Houston, and SMU. And that includes the previous class. And that includes the current classes as well. And then the national rankings were up there still too, even with the most recent class being ranked at 109th. Um, we're still third in the conference um, behind UCF and Cincinnati. But the biggest problem for USF is that as far as wins and losses go, we're in the bottom half of the conference for wins and or average wins in a year for the American Athletic Conference. Uh, going back to 2014, we are averaging what looks to be seven wins a year. So barely bowl eligible. Um, and that's behind literally everyone that has notoriety in this conference. Uh, Memphis, UCF, Navy, Houston, Temple, and Cincinnati. And then below us is SMU, who is on a resurgence. Uh, Tulane, who has looked to turn things around. Tulsa, who we just, Tulsa and ECU, who we just got our floors wiped by. So there's a really big problem that we've had since basically 2015. And that's keeping kids and keeping the good kids and those good kids playing well for us. Seth, do you have any, I know you had a little bit about the previous classes and what was going on there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did a I did a big preview this summer for all the conferences, and I did we had player averages and things like that in there as well. But we also had um, the class rankings and U.S. less class ranking, the team talent ranking had basically. I mean, one easy way to look at it is it had actually, I think it was from 2015 till now. USF and UCF basically switched spots. 
USF was like 54th or 50, you know, in the, in the, I think 59th maybe in the team talent and, and UCF was, you know, 69, 70, somewhere like that. And by then, and by now, as of this year, they've switched where USF is closer to 70 and UCF is closer to the mid fifties. So, I mean, that's kind of an easy way to look at it is just that flip has happened and the recruiting class rankings have kind of been gradually going down uh, since the move to the AAC. So while they, I think the player average that you said is kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's high, but you, it's, you can see it's kind of stagnant the last three or four years or the other, the other ones in the conference have grown where you have, you know, like um, for instance, 2020, you have Cincinnati with an 85.31 average. You have Memphis with an 84 average. So everybody's average is player ranking is kind of growing or the average player is kind of growing. And USS is growing, but just not by as much as everybody else's. So the conference is starting to catch them on that as well. Absolutely. And it's, it's – and Vita will, will obviously have these graphs available for everyone to kind of take a look at um, in, in the body of the, uh, um, the post. But it's, it's very telling when USF basically starts at the, the upper – pretty much the 83 overall rankings – or 0.83 overall rankings, and, you know, now we're still at the 0.83 overall rankings. Um, meanwhile, everyone else who is well below us is now about where we are. So you can kind of see where the talent gap has shrunk for, for USF. They basically went from being the team that was to beat as far as recruiting goes, especially when you look at the 2014 class where um, it would technically be the second highest ranked class in, in the AAC history behind the Ed Oliver uh, 2017 class, I believe, or excuse me. Yeah, that was, excuse me, that was a 2016 class, the Ed Oliver class with a five-star top player in the conference or top player in the state of Texas. Um, USF started on the incline under Willie Taggart, recruited great, and then slowly just started to dial off after that 2014 season and we we you know reaped the benefits of it for the 2015 to 2017 season and now we're seeing the you know the the seeds of the bad recruiting classes in this current class um yeah, and, and to that point so just pulling it up i did a uh, player average of like the team talent rankings from 2016 through 2019 um usf grew by 0.12, everybody else in the conference was uh, – almost everybody else was over one and a half. Uh, Memphis was grew by 3.17. Cincinnati grew by 2.15. Um, UCF grew by 2.12. The only one close to USF is Navy, and that was still 0.4. So they grew even more than USF did. And then when I looked at the player average going in uh, for the 2020 class and the player average going out. So as a 2015 class would have been leaving totally. Um, USF is actually the only team that had a negative net change. They went down 0.01. So while everybody else is like, uh, you know, Memphis is 4.57 net change with their latest classes or with their, the one that just left. Cincinnati 3.46 with their latest, you know, everybody's over two and three and USF is actually negative. So, they've had just this downward trend, like you said, the last four or five years, and they just need to get that turned around. And 
you were seeing, as you said, the fruits of that labor on the field. Yep. And uh, as Coach Jeff Scott has been saying, um, this program wasn't, well, it seems like it was built, uh, built in a day um, back in 1997, but this program wasn't built up to the success in, in 2016 and 2017 in a day. And it certainly wasn't, you know, tore down to pieces in a day. Um, you can look at the 2015 through the 2018 classes, and it is a very, very steady decline from, from top to bottom. And the only consolation that you can give to this is the fact that Coach Chef Scott has already done a better job this year than Strong did in his first year. So you're looking at a pretty good way of trying to bump things back up to normal. Under Strong's first year, we had a 0.81 rating. Uh, and then under um, Coach Scott's, I'm going to give this actual cycle, the first cycle uh, for him, we're at a 0.83. So there's going to be that gradual increase that we're going to see. But the, the most telling thing of all for, um, for USF is, is the lack of attrition, I think, is the most staggering part. Nate made sure that we were going to reference this, but from the 2016 to the 2017 recruiting cycles, there are 11 players playing still. Um, and that was out of 35, which – you know, math aside, that's not good to have only a third of your uh, two classes still be playing. And a lot of these guys from the 2016 and 2017 class, you're not seeing much of even, even to this day. A lot of those guys that were at the top of that class, um, I can call out to these three real quick. Darnell Solomon, no longer with the program. Craig Watts, no longer with the program. Tramel Ivy. National champion no Craig Watts. Yeah, Remember. sorry, excuse me. National champion on his name. <laughs> and then Tramel Ivy, I don't even think made it to campus, to be honest. Um, that was out of the 2016 class. Out of the 2017 class, Natron Culpepper, miss him so much, didn't pan out. Kavon Dingle, we're not going to leave it uh, anything else and not with the team anymore. And, and you keep on going from, from top to bottom. Nick Roberts just transferred. Demetrius Harris, still with the team. Jabril Stevens, transferred. Bentley Sanders still with the team. Jannard Phillips opted out. I think he's probably going to transfer. The rest of it, there's just no talent that stayed from the top of that class. And instead, we're, we're stuck. And I, I don't like saying the word stuck, but we're stuck with the guys who are not highly rated in this class. Kevin Kegler was one of the lowest guys in that class of 2017. Our 2016 class, which I find is the most staggering thing of all time, is not having anyone pan out from that class, the three lowest rated guys in that class that came to USF's campus are the only three guys left on the team. Mike Hampton, Michael Wiggs, and Devontrez Dukes, or Devontrez Odom Stukes, um, are the only three guys left over from that class, and they were the three lowest rated guys in that class. That's pretty telling of, of what this team has currently become is there's not a lot of great senior leadership um, aside from guys who transferred into USF. KJ Sales is the best example I can think of that a guy who stepped up to the bat is playing well, but there's not a lot of really good, great stuff around them. Um, Nick, I think you were, you have more experience in those classes than I do since I came in after the fact, but you know, with, with those 2016 through 2018 guys, 
you know, the expectations are pretty high for them. You know, what, what kind of, is it strong or is it something else? I'm looking at, like you just said, the 2016 and 2017 class, and you're starting to see that with the 2018 class, in particular, not only with attrition, but guys um, that we thought were going to make an immediate impact, and they just haven't panned out. Like, you go to the 2018 class, you look at the very top, you see Stacy Kirby there. He's, we barely seen him, you know? the past couple of for the past couple of years we just constantly wait until um we're just constantly like waiting for for him to like pan out you know you keep going down the list zion roland no longer with the program sebastian sanderling what four-time state champion state champion out of south florida you know disappeared octavius battle hashtag battle hive transferred out you know it's just not good man yeah and then these these guys that some of these guys that stay, they end up just not. I mean, we have the guys that don't play, and then we have guys that like move positions. We have guys that un- under Strong's recruiting eye were just are, are not playing the positions that they should be or that they were recruited out of. I think what we're going to end up seeing is, and I'd hate to say it, I mean, the 2018 guys, there are some gems in this class, and there are some guys that are just absolute leaders for this game. Dwayne Boyles obviously comes to mind. Um, but these 2018 and 2019 guys, we're either going to need those guys to absolutely step up and, you know, take the gut punch and say, yes, I'm going to bow for, for Coach um, Scott here and, you know, really, really put in some work. Um, we already have a lot of those – or some of those guys in the 2019 class really step up, which will cause Jacquez Evans, Daquan Evans, and Leo Parker, who's having to move positions. But, man, it's, it's, it's tough when you see these guys who were highly recruited and highly rated – that just don't pan out or transfer out. Like I, I, I've been looking at SMU and Memphis and Houston and all these other schools that have been doing better than USF in the last couple of years. And they're not having these issues. Some of these guys are turning into four year starters for them, but USF seems to be the one that at least as of recently is struggling to have those four year starters. I will say um, Tony Greer is a dude who like panned out. You look at the 2018 class, he's the, out of everyone who received the ranking, he's the lowest. He was literally only a two-star coming out of um, Mays, Atlanta, and he's already surpassed everyone in starting and a key figure in the defense when he's on the field. It's just the thing is, it's like if you're going to – it's you need more of those guys to hit, period. Uh, one, one extra question just as a, uh, a follow-up to that. How much is it – now I know – it just needed to happen, and that's where we're at. But when you have three coaches in the span of five years, like we mentioned, 2016 was a Taggart class. 2017 through 19 were strong classes. And then 2020 and now 21 is Jeff Scott. How much of that plays into, well, and 2017 you had Sterling Gilbert doing a very specific offense, so looking for a specific mold of player, versus now you have Kerwin Bell, who's trying to use his offense to – do to utilize with that staff plus trying to bring in people who he wants. And then all of a sudden now you bring in a brand new staff and you, sl- you wipe the slate clean. And then how many of these guys are just, maybe they're transferring out because there's a frustration there. Maybe it's not a fit anymore. Maybe it's now you have three, four different philosophies over the course of your you know career in college. How much does all of that play out into the, how the, this works out? And I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
part of this is why we need to be patient is because if you keep flipping coaches and you keep trying to make personnel uh, changes, how much does that affect what your recruiting does? And to put it bluntly, it it affects it a lot. And you see it almost anywhere and everywhere. I, I think there's very scarce examples of new coach coming in and there's a little bit of tension between, you know, players of the old regime versus players of the new regime. Um, that were brought in. So, and, and this isn't butting heads in practices or anything like that. This is not like, you know, guys calling out coaches on social media m- most times, but there are times where, you know, these guys that were brought in by, and we'll use USF as an example, these guys that were brought in by coach strong who were promised these, this playing time and promised this, these expectations and these championships and everything like that. Then coach strong is, is fired. And then the rest of the coaching staff is fired. So you have, no loyalties to basically anyone aside from the equipment staff and the support staff. And, and then all of a sudden this new guy comes in and he says, you know, Hey, we're starting from the ground up. I'm not looking at any film last year. You have to come in and compete. It, it almost seems like, in, and I'm not going to speak for every player or any situation or anything like that. Some of these guys who think that they can come in and play right away and are, are going to be built under coach strong probably aren't the guys that are going to be successful under coach Scott. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. They're guys that just aren't going to be playing hard for a guy that promised them nothing and actually took away things from them. So there are, it, it's understanding to me, at least whenever I see guys like Nick Roberts or um, guys like Eddie McDoom who transfer out basically immediately because it, it doesn't make sense for them to stay here. They have nothing going for them. So for the most part, and I think, Nick, you might be able to touch on this a little bit with that 2018 class, uh, or excuse me, um, up to the about 2018 class with Coach Strong. Like, even after Willie Taggart's time, some of these guys were just not promised what they wanted. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's kind of comes with the territory of a major transition, you know. You, like you just touched on, you're promised one thing by the previous guys, and then the next guy comes in, has a completely different vision you find yourself in a spot where it's like okay i'm not really needed here anymore and you may just need to have a change of scenery yeah and that's kind of the point we're kind of at right now and yeah i think as a new coach coming in that you know your two most valuable things are number one uh coachable players Number two, open scholarships. So, you know, if you if you're not down with it, you know, hit the portal. I don't think they're I don't think they're trying to claw any of these dudes back. They just, they'd rather have the open scholarships so I can go out and mold the team more in their own image. Yeah. And, and to Seth's point there, because um, this it's inevitably gonna happen and you know, I'll be the first one to say it. Don't worry about who is transferring out this year. I, I, I don't expect a huge mass exodus. I don't expect something like, uh, like Southern Miss or Maryland um, where, you know, you get 20, 30, 40 guys transferring out at one time. I don't think we're going to be at those levels. I do think that there's going to be some guys that made plays under the Coach Strong era that are going to transfer out. Guys that – we thought we're going to be doing a lot for USF that are going to say, you know what, this isn't this, you know, this coach um, Scott recruiting class is not for me. And that's, that's going to be okay. 
because I promise for every Nick Roberts that announces that he's going to go to the transfer portal, there is another freshman safety that wants to take his spot or another graduate transfer that wants to take his spot or someone else that can fill that void for him. Is that level of talent there? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But as long as we can get a guy that can actually buy into the program, I think that's going to be more valuable than a guy who makes five interceptions and 130 tackles a year. Or yeah, and, and, and if 20 do leave, so what? I mean, they could have us play and win the same amount of conference games. You can lose with anybody. So yeah. if 20 guys want to leave that can't win a game, okay, no big deal. I don't know about y'all, but I have all of my eligibility, and I'm the same age as um, same age as Aussie Schneider. So, you know. <laughs> you're ready. My both my ha- my hamstrings would explode off my legs if I tried to run three steps. So. But that's what I uh, like about some of these um, incoming guys, incoming um, freshmen. If you kind of, especially do like Gabe Neely, if you like, just kind of pay attention to. Um, what they say and what they post on Twitter, they already have that confidence knowing that I can come in and immediately play and immediately uh, make an impact because it ain't (laughs) because it can't get any worse than what we're seeing on the field now. So screw it. I step on campus. I can make that play. Yeah. No. And that's, that's the thing. I'd rather have a young guy make these mistakes than like if a young guy is getting burned, like the best example, Chris Townsell uh, against ECU. I mean, Divin, he did look like he did injure his hamstring there. I would a thousand times out of a thousand rather Chris Townsell get burned there because he's a young guy. He's going to learn how to, how to get in the proper position. He's going to understand, you know, this guy is a lot faster than me. He's going to understand that a lot better than a, a third-year guy or a senior who's just, I mean, getting the getting doors – you know, taken off every single week. So and and so are the coaches. Yes, we we, we would, you know you tell guys all the time. Hey, if it's if it's even, I'm playing the younger guy. And we're like, to see that with some things. Yeah. So, Seth, I did want to hear your perspective, and feel free to not mm-hmm. uh, if if this happened while you were coaching. But uh, when you're in a situation where you know that there's a player that may or may not want to be there or want to transfer out, what what's the how do you approach that as a coach? Do you kind of go and say, hey, this is where we're going and you're not in our plans anymore? Or is it like, hey, if you want to be here, you can, but no hard feelings. Like, how does that like, – I think a lot of people were wondering what possibly happened with Nick Roberts and how this all went down. But just from, like, a coach's perspective, I'm not sure if you had an experience like that before. I, I think you kind of – you just – you'd be honest. you say, this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, if that's not for you, then no hard feelings. You can leave. Well, this is how it's going to be here. So it's like get in line or get in the transfer portals, basically, kind of, kind of the thing. Especially early. If it's later on, if you're, you've had a program established and you're having these kind of problems, then that might be a you problem because you're obviously not establishing your culture very well. If if you're having, but early on, it's like, hey man, this is how we do stuff. You can do it like this, or you can go do it like you want somewhere else. So I, that's a, like the transfer stuff. It doesn't really bother me early. I think that's going to happen just because these guys committed to another coach, another style of coaching. So maybe this just isn't for them. They might not have committed to Jeff Scott when if he was recruiting them, you know. So I, I think you just have to be honest with these guys and say, hey, this is how it's going to be. This is how, how our program's going to run. 
you can stay if you if this appeals to you. If it doesn't, go somewhere else. No hard feelings. I think that's, I think that's how you got to be. You just got to be honest and with your expectations and hold everyone to the same expectations. So you can't be wishy washy and uh, you know, well, this guy's pretty good, so he doesn't have to do it as much. I mean, you got to hold everybody to that same standard. So if you do that, then all you can do is be honest with the guys. And if if you know if it does if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. No hard feelings. Just go your separate ways. Beautiful. Uh, Vito, do you have any other layman questions for us? That was really the big one about coaching staffs. Cause like, I know a lot of people always want to fire everybody, but that, that just creates a huge cult- culture, cultural issue. I mean, you can even look at a program like Kansas that every three years they fire their coach and it's just, it's, it just keeps going and going and going. And I think a lot of, a lot of people are kind of okay with how this is going to shake out and interested to see what the recruiting landscape is going to be under the new coaching staff. If we were doing all of this and we still had coach strong on staff, I think the feeling's a little different, but just one of those things you got to get your guys in. And I mean, Nathan made you know, basketball is not the same as football, but Nathan made the Brian Gregory kind of comparison. Like you just need to sit back and let Jeff Scott do it. And if it takes five years, it's going to take five years. I mean, we, uh, the, the, with the pandemic, you're already a couple steps back and then you don't have the football facility at the football center, which it's easier to recruit with facilities, I imagine. But outside of a layman's uh, view, I think it's just got to be patient and see what happens. But it'll be an interesting portal year with everyone getting a free year, essentially, and with people coming back with scholarships. I don't know how you have that conversation with a senior who wants to come back and you don't really want have a spot for him. I don't, I don't even know because, like, that, that, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Yeah. And I think some of these conversations would have happened in the summer if they had spring football. So you may have seen some of this stuff. You know, you're seeing it all during the season because you didn't have spring to evaluate and for guys to understand what the program was. You know, it's all, you know, the offseason, everyone's optimistic. Once you start playing and it's like, oh, I'm going to be a backup. Now maybe I start thinking a little differently about things. Whereas you come into the season, you haven't got a chance to evaluate. All right, yeah, you'll start. And then you're, you're, you're starting to lose some playing time. You're not quite as happy. And then, then maybe you get benched, and now you're like, okay, well, you know, what's the point? That might have happened all the summer and spring. So not having spring really is kind of pushing all these issues into one, you know, timeline during the season. Whereas you could have got a lot of this stuff figured out, I think, in spring and summer. So it's, it is a strange year. And I think um, we can't make too big a deal out of some of the stuff that happens. It just, I think it would have happened naturally, but now it's all compressed. The pandemic yeah. basically push, push you behind about, yeah. about six months. Yeah. You're basically just out of spring football now. Spring football. Yeah. That's basically how USF is playing anyways. Yeah. Cause I, I will say if an unbiased, if coach strong came into this year and he's still our head coach, and we had the fourth ranked recruiting class and we were 60th, 61st. Like that's not the expectation that we should be having as a program, especially under, under someone like coach strong. But I, I think that's about it as far as wrapping up the recruiting stuff. Nick, do you have any final thoughts about anything or anything as far as recruiting for the future or in the past? Like we were just saying, just be patient. They just got to get their guys in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. It's going to be a climb, but just got to give them time. Absolutely. Seth? The portal will take it, but the portal will also give it. So if, every time somebody goes out, I mean, somebody else can come in. Hopefully they can give us a Shane Bouchille and Roberson. <laughs> God, if we can get someone like Shane Bouchille and Roberson in here, I'll be the happiest, happiest guy on planet Earth. But I, I, and I think to wrap it all up, 
you know, this was a good recruiting class by uh, Coach Scott for the 2021, which will give him his, his first full recruiting cycle. This is a good class considering none of these guys basically came to campus. These guys, basically all they had was a phone call, a FaceTime, and a, and a Zoom call with the coaching staff. No, no practice facility and a really bad football team uh, to, to round it out. So I think this is a really good class for you, for Coach Strong, or excuse me, Coach Scott to build off of. Um, and I think there's some guys out of the 2020 class that they can really build with as well. So I think the biggest thing is relax. It's fine. Enjoy the college football season. We shouldn't be having it, but we're having it anyways. Enjoy Indiana absolutely just terrorizing through the Big Ten this year. And ultimately, don't, re- don't, don't tweet at recruits. That's the biggest thing. I'll retweet them. Nick will retweet them. Seth sometimes will. Don't give them the support. Don't, don't tweet at them. That's the biggest thing. Just let them be. Don't, don't shame them for committing to someone else. Like, these, these are kids. They're, and also, they're kids. also, if you shamed them, you're forgetting that they could always come back. They could always come back. Just because you lose a kid doesn't mean he's gone forever. These kids – there's plenty of kids who go off to these places in Iowa, Kansas, whatever. And a year, year and a half later, they want to come back to the Bay area. So, so don't, 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 do don't get into mentions. Jim Levitt 69 said I shouldn't come back. So I'm not coming back. And <laughs> Jim Levitt 69 is my burner account. Actually, please don't expose me like that. <laughs> Biggest example, KJ Sales, recruited by USF very heavily, ends up coming back. You never know what's going to end up happening if they have a good positive experience. But I think that wraps up for a very special recruiting edition of the Illuminati podcast. Um, We're still looking for a sponsor. Please reach out to Nathan. I am at no uh, authority to make any of these decisions. Reach out to at Bulls Nathan SBN uh, for any sponsorship inquiries or anything like that. Um, but from the Illuminati podcast, it is your host, Robert Stieg. With me, I had at Seth Barnador, uh, at Nick Simon TDS, TDS, and then at Anthony Vito underscore. Beautiful. Remembering these things. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll end it here, and uh, we'll look forward to playing Memphis next week. Oh, God. That's not going to be fun. Um, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Can't show recruits the lack of an IPF if they can't come on campus. That's thinking. Go Bulls.